We begin chapter 13 in Kings 2, and here we shift back to the kings of Israel. The previous two chapters dealt with the kingdom of Judea, Ataliah and King Yoash. And now, as is the way of the, way of the Bible narrative, we see, we see now what's happening on the other side of town in Samaria, where the 10 tribes are being ruled by Yehu and his descendants. We saw the last king we learned about in Israel was Yehu, and he merited to have four generations to rule after him. And so let's now verse Verse 1 in chapter 13. And in the 23rd year of Yoash ben Achaziahu, Melech Yudah, the king of Judea, in his 23rd year, Malach Yoachaz ben Yehu al Yisrael, that, that Yoachaz son of Yehu reigned over Israel, Bishomron, in Samaria, Shva Esreshana, and he ruled for 17 years. So the new king, we're going to learn about here, in the kingdom of Israel, over the tribes is Yoachaz ben Yehu. Now Yoachaz, the root of that name is Yoachaz, Hashem Achaz, or Hashem uh, held him. Ochez means to support or to uh, hold. So it means that Hashem supports him. So it's a nice it's a nice name, Yoachaz. We had a name like that of a king of Judea. His name was Achaziyahu. Same exact idea. And again, he as, as we said, he is the first of Yehu's sons who will rule after him. Now, what kind of king was he? We're going to see that in verse 2. So, not a good start. And he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And now they're going to explain why. He went in the ways and the sins. We followed the sins of Yeravam, son of Navat. Who had caused Israel to sin. He did not turn away from it. So the first description of Yoachaz is that he went in the ways of Yeravam and Avat who caused the Jewish people to sin. So let's review a little bit Yeravam and Avat, what this sin is all about. Because in describing the kings of Israel, we're going to see over and over again this verse that he, they went in the sins of Yeravam and Avat. So just to review, um, Yeravam and Avat was the first king of Israel. You know, when the split happened, right? It happened between Rechavam, son of Solomon, and Yeravam ben Avat was anointed as the new king by the prophet. But very quickly, he went off the proper path and he blocked his kingdom from making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year, as a Jew was supposed to do. We know on Passover, on Sukkot, on Shavuot, you're supposed to go up to Jerusalem to the temple on the Regalim. And what Yeravam did is he set up a barricade to prevent the Aliyah to the ascension to, the, to Jerusalem on the holidays. Now, he thought that if his kingdom, and by the way, his kingdom was the larger kingdom in it, the 10 tribes and their portions, he felt that if, they, if he allowed his kingdom to travel to the temple in Jerusalem, which is the center of the kingdom of Judea, they would be enthralled with the temple and they would acknowledge the Judean monarch and consider the Judean monarch to be the real king and not Yeruvam. Yeruvam would be kind of left out. In Yeruvam's time, of course, the Judean monarch was Rechavam, son of Solomon. And he, uh, Yeruvam, feared that letting them go to the temple is like admitting that the real deal is over there in Jerusalem. That's where the real worship is. That's where the real king is. And he had a whole explanation for it. It doesn't matter. But what he did was he established an alternative worship uh, for the temple, he erected one calf in Beit El, which was his southern border. 
and one Kefendan, which is the northern border of, of the ten tribes. And by doing so, the people in his kingdom needn't, they didn't have to schlep anymore to the temple. And they could just go to these calves instead. Now, again, he was a he was a great Torah mind. He was a mystic who learned who learned Torah with the prophet Achir Shiloni. So he justified this halachically, but it doesn't matter for now. What matters is that the ten tribes did not flow to the temple during the holidays, which is what a Jew was supposed to do according to the Torah. And that's what's described in the verses going in the sins of Yerovam Benavat. That what these kings were doing, this Yoachaz here, he's just upholding the status quo. It's not that he did anything new, but by upholding the status quo of Yerovam Benavat, it's as if they themselves are machtiat Israel, are making Israel sin, even if it was Yerovam who did it over 100 years ago. We move on now to verse 3. Vayechar Hashem Israel. And the Lord became angry with Israel. That is, as a result of the sins of Yoachaz, the Lord became angry with Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of Chazael, king of Aram. And in the hands of Ben-Hadad, the son of Chazael, all of the days. So, this verse kind of summarizes Aram's or Syria, Aram is the geographical area of Syria, their general torment of the kingdom of Israel throughout the years. Now, we saw in Chronicles that Chazael, the same Chazael of Aram, ascended upon the kingdom of Judea too, and he raided the temple. We saw that in the last, in the, in the last Shior, in Chronicles, in the days of King Yoash, this Chazael ascended on, on the kingdom of Judea as well, but his major business was trashing the kingdom of Israel. And just as a reminder, if you go back to uh, chapter 8, we see that Elisha the prophet actually went to Damascus, to Aram, and he prophesied to Hazael himself that he will be the eventual king of Aram and he will torment the kingdom of Israel for their sins. And here it's playing itself out. So let's now see verse 4 and 5. Ve'echal Yoachaz et Hashem. And it says, and Yoachaz prayed to the Lord. And the Lord hearkened to their prayer, for he saw Israel's oppression, he saw their lachats, for the king of Ram oppressed him. So we have here that the Yoachaz is praying to Hashem, and just for the record, that's the first king of Israel and the only king of Israel that it's written about him that he prayed to Hashem. So that we will say in the merit of King Yoachaz. Verse 5, hey, that is, in verse 4, we see that Hashem heard their prayer or he saw their oppression and he, and he gave to them, to Israel, a deliverer, a Moshiach or a savior. And they went free from under Aram's hands. And the children of Israel dwelt in their dwelling places just like they did before. So verse 5, we see like a relief here from the oppression of Aram. And we want to like just examine this whole verse 4 and 5 for a second because why were they delivered in the first place and who delivered them? So first of all, um, let's read the Ralbag. The Ralbag is we'll trying to shed light on this. It says the following. And we're, I'm reading the Ralbag in verse 4. Afapi shaloya yoachaz ra'ui. 
Shetishmat filato. Even though Yoachaz wasn't worthy that his prayers would be answered, Hashem shama, but Hashem listened to him. He hearkened to his, to his prayer. Bibnei ruuto et alachatz Yisrael, because he saw the pressure and the oppression that Aram was asserting upon the Jewish people. Ki lulei shamut filato ayu kalim asurashvatim. Because if it wasn't for that, the ten tribes would have been wiped out a long time ago. So we have here what the Rabbag is saying is that the Jewish people weren't necessarily worthy of being redeemed here, as it says in verse 5, but because of the lachats, the oppression, the severe oppression by Aram, they saw salvation. Now, this concept that even if the Jewish people aren't worthy of salvation, the oppressor, the, uh, the oppression of the Gentiles sometimes, even if you're not worthy, the oppression of the Gentile, if it's really over the top and more than is required, this excess suffering could hasten the redemption or can bring in the Savior quicker. That's what happened here. And that's what happened in Egypt. If you go back to Egypt, the Jews were in bondage there, okay? But the original time that they were supposed to be in Egypt, what was set down by God to Abraham back in the book of uh, Genesis was that the children of Israel would be in Egypt for over for 400 years. That's what Hashem said to Abraham, for 400 years. And in the end, it was 210 years. And out of those 210 years, only 80 years were slavery. Why? But because the oppression was over the top, because the Egyptians exaggerated in their, um, in their uh, oppression to us. That is, there, were, there was a decree that we're going to be subjugated over there. But Pharaoh was murdering babies and using them as bricks. That wasn't part of the decree. So because of that, that extra cruelty of the Gentile, God brought it down from 400 years to 200 years. So you have a similar thing here, that because of the oppression, not that we were especially worthy here, but the excess oppression of Aram, Hashem uh, eased up on us and gave us this savior and we were able to be released from the oppression of Aram. Now, the reason that intense suffering caused by the uh, nations affects the kets or brings the salvation closer is because when Israel undergoes terrible suffering, it causes unbearable humiliation. And God will then at that point advance the redemption or bring some salvation like he's doing here because God, so to speak, can't bear the suffering of his beloved children and, and he cannot bear the desecration of his name that results from this because the name of God is tied to our name. And that's why it says in Ezekiel 38, the desecration or the degradation of Israel is the degradation of his name. Because the Gentile says, hey, where's your God? Right? So at that point, Hashem sometimes will step in and bring salvation. And the prophet Ezekiel lays this down uh, in chapter 36, this foundation, very clearly. And he says there that even though Israel wasn't worthy, God will advance the redemption. He says that not for your sake, O house of Israel, but for the sake of my name that is desecrated among the nations. So the same concept here. Hashem's name is desecrated by this constant pressure and oppression by Aram on the Jewish people. It creates a chilul Hashem, a desecration of his name. Again, chilul from the word chalal, which means empty. It's as if his name is emptied from the world. And that's why he will bring us salvation, even if the Jewish people aren't uh, necessarily worthy of it. Now, going back to verse 5, where it says, The Lord gave Israel a savior, and they went free from Aram's hand, and the children of Israel dwelt in their dwelling places as yesterday. The, 
the tone of the verse or the, the word Vayiten Hashem et Moshiach, he's delivered them a Moshiach. And we have very uh, reminiscent of the book of Judges. If you look at the book of Judges, actually it's all over the place, this type of uh, verse, this pattern. Uh, if you go to just, for example, chapter 2, verse 18 of the book of Judges, it's that the Shem would give the Jews a judge, and he would save them from the hand of their enemies. Almost the same words as you see here. He would save them from the hands of their enemies, Yoshiotam, and from their pressure because of the relentless um, oppression of those who crush them. And that's what you have here. Uh, but it's almost the same words, Moshiach mitachet yad aram, or miyad avahem. So why is it a similar verse to, in the book of Judges? Well, again, the pattern in the book of Judges was that the Jewish people would sin and as a pu punishment would be subjugated to their enemy. And Hashem eventually would bring a Moshiach, a savior, to temporarily free them from this bondage until they repeat the same pattern again. That's what happens in Judges. And here we have the similar verse because we actually have a similar phenomenon that the kingdom of Israel is sinning. They're being oppressed and God eventually de delivers the salvation. But it's not really a good sign that it's similar to the book of Judges because the, the times of the book of Judges was not a stellar period in our history. But that's... So, and the the kingdom here now in Israel is also not a stellar time. So and the final question we want to answer, though, is in verse 5, it says he sent a deliverer. Well, who is it? Who was the deliverer of the salvation? It doesn't say. In the book of Judges, we tell you, they tell you a book, a judge arose, he arose, and he was the Moshiach, he was the Savior. Here it just says there was a Savior. Who? So it's really ambiguous and... Um, I mean, was the savior King Yoachaz? He was the king at the time. Usually the king is leading the fight. and But it doesn't say it was King Yoachaz, right? As a matter of fact, if you go on to verse 6 and 7, it's the opposite. It says, during the times of Yoachaz, um, actually in verse 7, it says, there was nothing left to him but 50 riders and 10 chariots. The king of Aram destroyed everything. So Yoachaz didn't have an army. How could he have brought salvation, right? So who did bring this salvation? Well, most of the commentators say that it wasn't Yoachaz who was the deliverer here that's being mentioned in verse 5, but it was the son of Yoachaz whose name was Yoash. And why do they say that? Because if you look at the last verse of the chapter, the last verse in this chapter, while it goes through other kings, it says that Yoash, the son of Yoachaz, took back the cities from Aram that had been taken by from his father. So they have a clear verse that Yoash is bringing salvation. So maybe that's what's being t talked about. But why would they mention it here? Well, perhaps Yoash ruled when his father was still alive. Or maybe he led the army during the days of his father. In any case, many commentators say that the savior was Yoash, the son of Yoachaz. But later commentators say that the savior spoken about in verse 5 is actually not a Jew, but it was the nation of Assyria. Because the nation of Assyria, Ashur, Assyria, well, they're an emerging power in the region. And it's Assyria who will eventually conquer the kingdom of Israel. It's Assyria that's going to exile the ten tribes forever. And at this particular point in history, they are not going against the Jews yet. They're warring now with Aram. 
And that's how Aram got off our backs. The Moshia was a Syria and not a Jewish king, okay? Again, not because there was a Jewish savior here, according to this opinion. And it really makes a lot of sense historically because we know that Assyria is, go is going to uh, create havoc in, uh, to all the nations in the area at this time. But again, it's a Gentile nation who is bringing the deliverance and they're acting in their own interests, but Hashem has many shlichim at his disposal. So that's why maybe uh, it doesn't say who it's, who's doing it because it's not even uh, the Jewish king that's bringing back these territories from Aram or relief, re giving relief to this oppression, but it's Assyria doing it indirectly by attacking Aram and getting Aram off our backs. Now, not for nothing is the verse vague. That is, it doesn't say who the Savior is in the verse. It just says a Savior came. And that may be intentionally vague. To convey the, maybe they want to convey a message that the, this redemption here that's being discussed, this deliverance, it's also pretty vague. It's not even coming from, from Israel. It's unexpected. And we don't even know why it's coming. It's not, it's not like the regular salvation where the Jewish people do some tshuva and then a, a judge arises or a Jewish hero arises. It's happening in an indirect way. And so it's purposely ambiguous to bring these ideas over. And so we'll, we'll end here and we can continue in verses six and seven, which further will portray the situation in Israel under the uh, rule of Yoachaz, son of Yehu.